thanks for coming. Um, we are um, finishing up a series on the miracles of Christ. We actually are down to the last two. The one we're going to deal with this week occurs before the cross. The one we're going to talk about next week occurs after the cross. Uh, this is really, this morning, the last miracle that Jesus does. And so it has some significance. Uh, it's mentioned, um, the story is mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, Luke is the only one that records the miracle. Um, it's the story of, um, we know from John, the disciple's name was Peter. And we know that the servant that he chopped off his ear was Malchus. And Luke, being the physician, records the miracle of Jesus healing Malchus's ear. Um, you should know that in the stories of Jesus and the miracles, this is the only miracle in which um, Jesus physically heals an exterior, an, an external kind of wound like this, um, in which he's he's doing something like this. So it's it's unique in that um, it's something that happened. And Jesus immediately steps in. Most of the other miracles, there was something, there was time, or they had struggled with it for a while. So this is a little bit unique that way. Um, you have to understand the beginning, the, the, the prelude to the story, to understand the significance and the lessons of the story. Um, Jesus has met with the disciples in, uh, at Passover. They've had the Last Supper. You know, you've seen the picture of Jesus at the table with all of the people. Okay, it was wrong, but that's okay. Um, they didn't have tables. Okay, they would have sat on the floor. Um, but when the painting was done, everybody sat at tables. So Jesus is at a table. Anyway, uh, so, um, but it, 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 traditionally it would, would have been on the floor. He would have had the Last Supper. Um, it was a Passover meal. Um, Jesus throws up, changes it up with some things that are said at different times in the Passover. So it would have made an impact with the disciples. They then leave. They go to Garden of Gethsemane. All the disciples go, but Judas, Jesus has already gone and, and done his thing. Jesus is, takes three, Peter, James, and John, and says, look, I need you guys to come with me. You guys stay here. Peter, James, and John go with, with Jesus. Jesus then tells them, I need you guys to watch and pray. And Jesus goes apart to pray, kind of like what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. He was alone. Jesus went to spend alone time. He knew that what was coming, he needed to be able to rest and refresh and recharge and, and be ready for what was about to happen. So he looks at Peter, James, and John, and he knew what they were going to go through as well because he knew this was going to be earth-shattering to them that, that he was going to be crucified on a cross. And he tells them, he said, look, guys, you need to pray. But they're so exhausted, they fall asleep. You know the story. He comes back a second time, comes back a third time, wakes them up, says, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. So um, that's where we pick up the story, all right? So with that in mind, here's the Gospel of Luke. Here's what it says. Um, when he arose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. That's a very important part of our story. Jesus says, look, I don't want you to respond wrongly in what's coming, so you need to be praying. You need to be on, 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 on top of your game here. And notice what happens. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. The man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. So that would have been a traditional greeting. But Jesus had already said, you know, this is what's going to happen. And Judas comes up and notice, because I love this about Jesus, Jesus doesn't mince words. Jesus isn't like, okay, let's do politically correct thing here. 
Jesus looks at him and he says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? He looks at him and he says, Judas, in essence, this is what he's saying, I know what you're doing. You're not happy to see me. This isn't about how happy you are to be with me again because you've left me. You're betraying me. And I know that. Now here's a question. How did Jesus know that? Because, I mean, you know, I mean, Jesus knew all this. Why? He walked with the Father. He knew what the, he, the Father had prepared him for this. This was, here, here's what's important to understand. This was not taking Jesus by surprise. You get that? Because he walked with the Father, his circumstances didn't take him by surprise. He was ready for whatever circumstances would come. And he knew what was coming. And he was ready for it. Why? Because he had just spent time with the Father. He was trying to get... Peter, James, and John to spend time with the Father, so they were ready for it, but they were just too exhausted, and we talked about that in Sunday school. Um, and notice what he goes on to say. The story goes on. Um, next, guys. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, now, at this point, here's the way we picture this. Jesus is there. Peter, James, and John are there. Crowd comes up. As the crowd comes up, the other disciples start following the crowd to go see what was going on. This did not look like a happy crowd. This wasn't the crowd who was on Palm Sunday going, you know, Hosanna, king of the highest. No, no, no. This was a crowd that was coming at night, and their intentions were not good. And so the disciples now, so now we got all 11 of the disciples and Judas and all of the group there, and they are all there. And notice what happens. It says, some of the followers said, Lord, should we strike them with our swords? Well, it's interesting that we now know that at this point, at least, the disciples are carrying swords. The followers are carrying swords. That should tell you something. That should tell you how intense things had gotten. And it might have been they always carried swords. I don't know. We don't see any other record of that in the Scriptures other than in this story. And they say, hey, should we fight? Now, they are smart. They asked Jesus, should we fight? Mr. Peter, on the other hand, figures it's always better to act first and then figure out whether or not what I did was right. So Peter, it says, <clears throat> one of them struck the servant of the high priest. Now, um, John is the only one who gives us names. And let me tell you why we think that is. Okay? Um, John is the last gospel that's written. And John is written after the destruction of Jerusalem. It's written about 90 AD. A lot of people believe that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not put the names in because it would have been a threat to their lives if somebody could go back and say, Peter did this. Let's go get Peter. And so a lot of people believe that the reason the other names weren't mentioned until John does is because now after the fall of Jerusalem, it's not an issue. Um, so a, a lot of people kind of look at that. And they believe the reason the high priest's servant's name is mentioned because there are actually Bible commentators that believe that he became a Christian and part of the church, and John mentions his name to encourage them that here's somebody who was against Christ who's now a follower of Christ. It's speculation, but that's a guess, okay? So it goes on to say, uh, one of them, Peter, struck... Oh, oh, we got to go back there, guys. Sorry, I know. Um, one of them struck the servant of the high priest, that had been Malchus, cutting off his right ear. 
Uh, literally, it's probably the idea, not like chopped the whole ear up, but probably took off part of the ear. Um, let me explain this to you. Peter was not aiming for his ear. And the way the scripture records this in the, in, in the original language, we, we get the impression it's a short sword. Try saying that ten times fast. But it's a short sword. It's not the, you know, we get the idea it's one of those big, long things, and you're like, whoa, whack, you know. Um, no, it was probably that short little dagger that they would have, but, uh, and I, what I would imagine, I'm just guessing, I'm guessing that that means that they were close. And Peter went like this, and Malchus went like this, and part of it came off. It's either that or Peter went like this, and most of the time, Peter didn't think. Peter acts. You know, Peter's like most of us, you know. And, and so he just reacts that way. And notice what it says. He struck off his hands. But Jesus answered, I love this. And that's, Jesus answered and says, stop. Uh, one translation says it this way. Jesus answered, let them have their way. In other words, it's the idea of, look, stop what you're doing. No more of this. This ends now. And then, notice what happens, because this is fascinating. He touched the man's ear and healed him. I don't know if he's just hanging or if he had lopped off part of it, but Jesus reaches out and touches the man's ear, and it becomes whole. Now, here's something to think about. In the Bible, the last event that the unbound hands of Jesus do is heal the ear of an enemy. Let me say it again. The last event that the unbound hands of Jesus does is reaches out to heal the ear of somebody who was coming to take him away to crucify him. It speaks much about the purpose and plan of Jesus. And I think it speaks much about how we need to be careful in how we respond. To situations. Because the last thing you see his hands doing, where Rome and, and everybody else is in control of him, is touching that man's hands. And then next week we're going to see the one of the one of the things before the before he ascends into heaven. Same thing what his hands do, and that's fascinating. But anyway, all right, he touches him here. And then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. He now looks at these guys all standing around, and here's what he says. He says, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? He said, you guys think I'm a rebel? Is that why you're coming to get me? Because what I'm doing is so rebellious in the, in, in the, in the world? Because again, the leaders had convinced all of the people around that that's, that's what needed to happen. And then Jesus confronts them with this, and he says this. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, you did not lay a hand on me. He says, look, if what I was doing was so wrong, and so against the law, why didn't you arrest me back then? Why is it that you are coming now at night with a small little select group, with clubs and swords and everything else to take me your prisoner? And I think this just pierced the heart of Jesus. And the followers who were standing there had to think hard about what they were about ready to do. Um, and then Jesus makes this statement. I wish I could spend the rest of the day on this, but we can't. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus then makes a statement. I think there are two layers to this, two, one very, very deep, one very, very surface. They're at night, and Jesus basically is looking at them and going, you know what? 
this is your hour. This is when you've got to come and do it. When nobody's around, when it's dark, because you know what you're doing is wrong. There's another layer to this that I think goes much, much, much deeper. And here's what I think it is. I think here's what Jesus is also saying. I understand that this is the moment that Satan gets to rule and thinks he wins. This is the moment that is Satan's pinnacle. The one thing Satan has desired from the day that man was created was to challenge God one-on-one. And I think Jesus is saying, this is Satan's hour. This is the moment that he's waited for. For all of eternity, he has fought me, Satan has fought me and fought me and fought me from the very beginning, and he has continued to try to defeat me and defeat me and defeat me, and this is the moment that he's going to reign for a moment. Because you see, the beauty of Easter is Easter is a declaration that you no longer reign. I'm king of kings. I'm lord of lords. The grave cannot hold me. You cannot defeat me. I am bigger than you. And if you know anything about the end time deal, Jesus is going to make that statement for all of eternity. But I want you to understand that Jesus here looks at him and says, guys, I understand this is your moment, so go and do what you want. When you read this with the other accounts, at this point or maybe just a little bit before, all the disciples have fled and Jesus is alone. And they take him off to go through what we're going to know ultimately is the crucifixion and all of the stuff that happens and the trials and all the illegal stuff that happens in order for that to to transpire. That's the story. A couple of takeaways, a couple of things I think that that, that apply to us that that I'd just like to maybe think for for us to think about um, as we go through the week. Um, Here's the first one. This story starts out with focusing on the importance of walking with God. And I cannot overestimate how important it is that you and I spend time and that on a regular basis we meet with God. I see two types of people that I deal with as far as Christians. One type of person, they're the kind of people that they come to church every week or pretty consistently as much as, as they can every, every chance they get. They... They spend time with God during the week and that kind of thing. And then what happens is life happens and a crisis comes. And here's what I've noticed. Those kind of people, they have this foundation that helps them as they, as, as they navigate through life. And they, and they still struggle and they still have problems with it and they still grieve and they still sorrow and they still have problems. But there's a different underpinning for all they go through. Because they've walked with God enough and been exposed to God enough to understand that, you know what, God has a plan, He still loves me, He still cares about me, it'll be okay. The other group, they practice what I call crisis Christianity. They go along in life until a crisis happens. 
And then when a crisis happens, they run to church. They run around church people. They start asking people to pray for them and to help them. And, to, and, and, and they, they, they're coming like every week. And, 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 and they're, they're calling me for verses to encourage them. And, 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 we, and we encourage them and we help them and everything else. And then they, do, they, they get past that crisis. And, it, and, and it's a whole rocky process for them to get through it. But they get through it. <clears throat> and then what happens is they start to smooth out a little bit and they back away until another crisis happened. And they go through life with this extreme high and extreme low. And when I step back and I look at it as a whole, I see that these people handle life so much better and with so much less issues, if you will, than people who practice this. And Jesus knows he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he takes the disciples because he knows these guys are going to have a lot of questions, believe me. When the guy they followed for three years is gone, they got a lot of questions. And he knows, look, guys, this is the last chance to be with me, to pray, with, to pray for me, to, to, to pray for yourself, because the next couple of weeks are going to be tough. And a lot of people looking, after, looking out for you, and they're not, they're not there to be your buddy. They're there to take your life. And you're going to need to be strong for that. I need you to spend some time with the Father. And they have a rough go of it. In fact, we're going to see when Jesus finds them, they're scared. They're locked in a room. They don't know what to do. Because they weren't used to, as a pattern, learning to walk with God on a regular basis. And it's so important. Second takeaway I get from this is I think we need to learn what battles to fight and what battles not to fight. And what I see in our culture and in Christianity right now is we've lost the discernment of knowing what really to fight for and what not to fight for. And we're, we're, we're kind of so angry with stuff that we, just, we, we have this attitude sometimes that we just want to fight everybody. Culturally, I see this. I, if you haven't figured this out yet, here's, here's what the world has figured out. Real Christians, they know the one thing about real Christians is they're committed. They're committed. You cannot shake a real Christian because they're committed to their cause, Christ. And they are unwavering. And the world understands that. And the world has stepped back. And you know what they've realized? They've realized, you know what? If I can tweak my thing to appeal to them, they will be just as committed to my cause. And so what happens is, and I see this all the time, they take a couple of verses and they start using some verses in their material and then Christians make that cause a Christian cause because it has verses with it. And these people are going, yay! We've got more committed people. And we've got people running around tying Bible verses to issues that have no significance whatsoever to Scripture. Um, I, I saw one on Facebook a couple weeks ago. I actually, I know this person, they're a committed Christian person, and I emailed them and said, look, you need to think twice about what you're doing here. It, it, it was a protest march thing, and they had this big thing about what was going to happen, and da-da-da-da-da, and at the end of it, they tacked a verse to it. And the verse was, 
They said, we should protest this because this big company is making all this money. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Here's the kicker. At the end of the protest, they were going to meet at a restaurant that is one of the fastest growing chains in the country that makes a lot of money. And I'm going, what's the disconnect here? What, what am I missing? If it's about money, then you don't go to a place that focuses on making money. But, and, and Christians are going, hey, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. Come on. We've got to learn some discernment about what to fight and what not to fight. I've got no problem. If you want to fight that issue, just don't tie Christian verses. Don't tie Bible verses to it. Don't, don't do that. That's not right. Because here's what happened. Then when you go to, those, go to people and you try to talk to them about Christ, you know what they associate you with? That. I, I want to be careful that my Christianity is not that. That my Christianity is my Christianity. And so <laughs> it's one of the reasons when I get involved in an organization, I, you know, you know, I, I try not to let them know I'm a pastor. I'm like a covert operative, you know, because I want, them to do, I want them to respect me for me. And then what I'm hoping is they go, oh, what? You're a Christian? Here's the comment I get most of the time. I take it as a compliment. Other people probably don't mean it that way. I've never met a pastor like you. Yes. Awesome. Good. I'm out to change the way you think about all of us, you know. Why? Because we, I've actually had people look. I, my wife's actually had people say this to her. You're the first pastor's wife that I've met that's normal. <laughs> she did. She did. And I'm like, yes. Yes. You know? And the depth of, you ever introduced me, please don't start with, this is my pastor. I am thrilled to be your pastor. But if I'm going to have any kind of relation, don't, don't handicap me right off the bat. You know, you know, um, and, and that's what I love about, you know, uh, I'm not ashamed to be anybody's pastor. I'm not. I'm not ashamed that I'm a pastor. I'm not. But if I try to reach people, look, I got it. The second you say the word pastor, by the way, if you're ever on an airplane, I just play the pastor card. If I don't want to talk to somebody, what do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> Boom, they're done. <laughs> you know? Unless you get a Christian who's then and then, they're like, oh, you're a bad man. And it's like, oh, no. Um, so anyway, but I mean, it is. It's easy to do. Look, we got to learn what to fight. Let me, let me change this over, too. We got to learn what to fight at home. We read this story and we think, that's horrible that, that Peter would just, like, pull out a knife and whack off an ear. But you know what I see? I see people who have a far more dangerous weapon that is far sharper than any knife, that will do far more damage than any dagger, and that's their tongue. And I listen to the things that some people say to their spouse, and i, I got to be honest with you, I don't understand how you can do it. I don't understand how you can talk to the most precious human being in your life that way. I don't understand how you could ever look at your spouse and have any word in a sentence in it that has a swear word. I don't get that. 
I don't understand how you could take that child that you love and use language to destroy them. I don't understand that. I don't understand how we get this attitude that our spouse is our enemy. Um, I have this little game that I've, that I've been playing for probably over, I well, know over a year now, because Josh makes fun of me for playing it. But it's, a, it's an online game. It's, I have it on my iPad, so whenever I'm sitting down watching TV or whatever else, I'll, I'll play this game. And it's, I'm, I'm on a team, and we have, we have I think, 30-some-odd members, and we're a worldwide team. We have people in Australia and Europe and everybody else that plays it. And it's a silly little game, and, it's, and I've been doing it for years, so we're pretty good, and our team's pretty good. And, and so anyway, um, but right now there's a, there's a battle going on for like the next five, six days. And so what happens is I, I get a post about this battle on my iPad. And this morning I, plug, I flipped on my iPad while I was here. And this morning, first thing on the, on the iPad when I'm sitting back there, you know what it says? You are at war with, and it listed two teams that we're at war with, okay? I don't know if we won or not. I'll have to check it after the service. But anyway, um... I don't know, we're pretty good. But it says you are at war with. And I stopped thinking about it. I thought, you know what? That's exactly how some of you live. You get up every day and you could start your day with, I'm at war with blank, blank. Because you haven't decided what's worth fighting and what's not worth fighting for. And my wife, we were having this discussion yesterday. And if there's anybody who knows exactly how I feel about just about everything, it's her. Okay? Because there is no filter. When you talk to me, there's a filter. With her, there's no filter. And I made a statement yesterday, and she started laughing at me. And I said, why are you laughing? Because, I mean, it was, a, it was not a kind statement, but it was a gut-level feeling of exactly how I felt at the time. And it wasn't about her. It was about something else. And, and, and I made this statement, and, and, and she was like, she was laughing, and I said, why are you? She said, you know what? She said, i got to tell you. She said, over the last couple of months, you have become more and more cynical about stuff like this. And I said, well, I don't know why. I said, it's just the way I'm feeling. I said, I just don't have a lot of tolerance for stuff like this. And, da, 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 da. and I said, I don't know if it's the Doug thing or what. And she said, I think it is. And I've had some time to think about what she said, and I think she's right. Because... Here's my world. I'm up close and personal with two people who are hoping. I'm up close and personal with Terry, who's hoping her husband's going to be here next week. I'm the one who's back and forth with them on text on his blood pressure is this low, we don't know, d d d d d d d d d I'm the one who's spending time praying and begging God that he has the rest of this year. And then somebody comes to me and goes, my spouse is being mean to me. Well, suck it up and love him anyway. Because <laughs> I, I can give you two people who will trade places with you in a heartbeat. Well, well, you don't understand how hard it is. Really? Hey, I got p- two people who will trade places with you. Want to really talk about how hard it is right now? And my wife's like, you know, you're so cynical about stuff like that. I'm yeah, you know, because honestly, I'm sorry, but in the real world that I'm living in right now, 
You need to be so appreciative of what you've got. And the way we talk to one another, the issues that we fight over, the things that we let get in our craw, really? I mean, really? Really? The things that you're all upset about with your spouse this week, really? I mean, really? You, you really want to get all bent out of shape on that? You know, they don't pick up their laundry. Well, wow. I don't know what to tell you because my world will come crashing down. Really? I mean, and, and again, I'm not saying it's right to be cynical. I'm working on it. But it is really hard when you deal with people who would give anything to trade places with the kind of problems that most of us have to deal with. And I just want to challenge you because I think some of you are going to spend this week fighting battles that really just don't matter. They just don't matter. And you're spending all your time and energy on stuff that really doesn't matter. And you don't realize how good you have it. And these disciples... They didn't know when to fight and when not to fight. And they fought over something that was part of God's plan and part of God's working, and it didn't need to be a fight. And I think that's the last thing that you've got to realize here is this. Sometimes part of God's plan means bad things happen to good people. I know the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, but we're talking about Jesus, and he was good, and he was righteous. But part of God's plan was the cross. Part of God's plan was being betrayed by Peter. Part of God's plan was it was going to be an unfair trial. Part of God's plan was he was going to suffer. That was part of God's plan. And he was willing to say, my life is yours. And if it means to go to a cross, then, you know, I'm praying let this cup pass for me. But not my will, but yours be done. He goes from praying that Two, stop fighting. God's in control. My life is in his hands. This is part of his plan. I could escape it if I want, but I choose not to because my goal is to honor him. And some of you, unfortunately in life, have had things come down your path that you don't want, that you didn't sign up for, that are really difficult. To you, I have compassion, and I'm not cynical. I do not understand how you go through the days that you go through. But you are a testimony to me, and you are an encouragement to me, and you're an example that I share with others. And I want to challenge you to keep on keeping on doing what you're doing. And I want to minimize what you do at all. Because you're one of those who signed up and said, you know what, God, even if it means I'm going to go through suffering and difficulty and hardship, it's okay because my goal is to glorify you with my life. And to you, you're my heroes. You are. And I challenge you today to really step back and take a good hard look at your walk with God. To take a good hard look at the things that are in your craw that you're fighting for and 
and all of those kinds of things and realize how good you really have it. And for all of us to step back and say, God, this week, my life is about what you want for it, not what I want for it. So Lord, I want your plan, your purposes fulfilled in my life every day this week. And when it's all said and done, I'll come to the end of the week and honor and glorify you. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we have so many problems that are first world problems. Lord, 95% of this world would give anything to trade places with us. But Lord, we have become so spoiled and so focused and so petty on stuff that really doesn't matter. And Lord, we're, we're fighting stuff that Lord, we just don't need to be fighting. And Lord, we're taking our families and our spouses and our friends and our coworkers and all of the relationships that we have, Lord, we're taking them for granted. And God, we, we don't want to go down that road. Lord, help us to have some discernment on what to fight and what not to fight this week. And Lord, for each of us, Lord, may we value the relationships that we have. May we walk closely with you. May we build those up around us. And Lord, as others look at our lives this week, Lord, may they see Christ in us. And Lord, may we be a witness and a testimony in everything we say and do. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's